Hey guys, this is And The Writer Is with Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of writers and artists over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life and the industry, politics, composition, whatever. If you ask me, songwriters are some of the most worldly and intelligent people I've ever come across. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm co-producing this with my friend Joe London, who's nominated for a Grammy this year. He records every interview and makes sure we sound like angels. So if you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In this week's episode, we meet Savin Kotecha. Savin's story is the most unlikely we've come across. I mean, how does an Indian kid from the middle of Texas become the premier top liner in music? Since we did this interview, Savin's had three major records with Ariana Grande. Into You, which was critically acclaimed, Side to Side, which remained number one at Top 40 for five weeks, and Every Day, her fourth and newest single off of Dangerous Woman. As we do, let me set the stage. We're in Savin's back house. It's a modern house, the kind you see in Architecture Digest. It's clean. I find that remarkable considering that he has kids eating in the main house 20 feet away. He's clever, savvy, and worldly. And the decor in his office reflects just that. Anyway, here are some characters and updates you'll need to know for this interview. Evan is Evan Bogart. He's a great writer you'll meet in a few weeks. He wrote Halo, etc. E-Man is a producer they work with. Ilya and Ali are two of the best producers in the world, and Johan Carlson is one of my closest co-writers. All three of them, with Savin, have deals with MXM, which is Max Martin's publishing company. Again, Max is the greatest writer of our generation. The Billboard number one songs list literally goes Paul McCartney, John Lennon, and then Max Martin. MXM is the closest thing to the Brill building that our generation has. If you don't know the Brill Building, look that up. We'll get more into that in the future. A couple other notes. Love Me Like You Do is by Ellie Goulding. I Can't Feel My Face is by The Weeknd. And Zane's album has come out since this interview. Again, if you like what you hear, please rate us on iTunes or whatever your preferred podcast listening site is. And check out our Spotify playlist for this episode to hear some of this writer's greatest hits. Without further ado, here is And The Writer Is. Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's guest has sold over 200 million songs in an era when most people don't buy records. He broke a boy band in an era where there were no boy bands. He's been nominated for Grammys to Golden Globes and has done it as a, quote, top liner, unquote, 
From Austin, Texas, this musician is a business mastermind and yet Instagrams mostly pictures of bath toys. And the writer is the industry's favorite Indian-American, Savin Kotecha. Thank you. That was, a, that was a very nice intro. Yes, well, you know. I'm really proud of my bath toy collection. <laughs> it's really impressive how many, um, how that, your, your focus in life is so, it, first of all, you're, you're obviously a very public songwriter. Yeah. And the fact that as, uh, now that you have a second child, it's, it just gets more, more baby, I don't, I don't friendly <laughs> feels like the wrong word. There's got to be a word to describe. Yeah. Uh, it's bath toys. But you know what it is? Abundance. It's like at night when I get home and I'm like sitting on, because I sort of like, after I brush my teeth and get ready for bed, I sort of just sit on the floor in the bathroom and like sort of just meditate and like trying to center myself before I go to sleep. Because I found that like um, it, I used to never, I used to have a lot of problems sleeping, just so much shit going through your head all, all the time. Sure. And you know how it is. You're listening to like the same oh, yeah. s- loop of sound sometimes, right. especially after you're writing. Yeah. Like, and you can't get it out of your head kind of thing. But I, I found that, like, centering myself before I go to sleep and just sort of meditating and, you know, and praying to whatever, you know, just doing that, like, helps me, like, calm myself before I sleep. And so when I do that, there's, like, a bathtub to the right. And my son, like, if I missed his bath time, yeah, like, he stacks, he, he has his bath toys in various positions and i i kind of like social media in a sense that it's also creative right because i'm like i love like humor and stuff like that and i think that's a part of creativity sure so it's kind of fun to just like say something about his bath toys and just throw it out there as like you know we you you literally sit in the bathroom and meditate before you go to bed yeah because that's like your quiet space in the house and it's also everyone's sleeping you know what I mean? And well, I, when you meditate, it doesn't like it's not like you you it's not like you're making noises. No, I'm just so sitting quiet. Like, I'm just sort of sitting Indian style, quiet, or just style, or just as style, you would say. As I was, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess just, it's a different, yeah, a different, it's a different kind thing. of Indian. <laughs> um, <laughs> Wait, is uh, that um is that a religious thing to to meditate? No, it's just I found that um, I found that it just brings me calm. You know? Yeah. And it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, I, maybe it's not even meditating where I'm just trying to f- think of nothing. I'm kind of just being sure. grateful and, and thinking of everything, you know. And, Were you and always trying doing to find that? These. Before I went, probably for a while, but not always before I went to, not always like sitting on the floor. But I mean, life-wise, I mean, yeah. is, is I mean, because I, gro- I was brought up like Hindu. And so there was always like prayers you would say before bed. And you just, that's just what you're conditioned to do, like... Are, is it to a know, deity or is it to no? Uh, it's about well, as when you're younger and you sort of fall for that, like the right. it is because you're told you're supposed to do that to be a good person by your parents, kind of thing. Yeah. You know? uh, but then when you're older and you start understanding the world and you have more experiences, and I see everything as I see whatever God is as energy, whatever. I mean, we define it as energy. I don't think it's a right. person or a being. I think it's just. This thing that unites us all, and like, where does I, where do ideas come from? I can't explain sure. it. So, the only language I can use is that's what sort of God is. But right. it's really to me like an energy. Yeah, it's not a philosophy. It's not stories. It's not mythology. It's not character. It's not you know Jesus or Krishna or whatever. It's just whatever this thing is that makes things go. Yeah, does that make sense? Of course. I mean, um, is. 
It's weird because I was gonna go into something more like do the dirty pizza than <laughs> than uh, religion, but I kind of like where religion is. Yeah. We'll talk about do the dirty yeah. pizza later. But you know, like I, the fact that you grew up in a you grew up in Austin as an Indian American who then finds his way to Sweden. Yeah. Meets a woman in Sweden, marries a Swede. Such so not a typical story to me. And a then girl in ends up you end up in on as like a TV personality on X Factor during the, in in London during like the prime of that. Yeah. And now you're in Los Angeles. It's probably the most improbable yeah. kind of story. I mean, do you view that path as being a spiritual was this a, like a is this a was it destiny that you'd end up here i don't know there? it's something it's obviously a lot of hard work but it, yeah i can't it, that's my thing is you can't explain certain things right? right like why things happen like in your life the things just happened out of coincidence right or if it didn't happen you would have been on a different path you know right and i remember I mean, I was so desperate to make it when I was, it gave me like OCD at some points, like waiting for, because I would send out demo tapes, you know, sure. I had a book of music industry addresses and I would just send out demo tapes. And then, you know, did you, you get, have the yellow pages of rock or what no, was it? No, it was, it was a book. I forgot what it was. There was like a, there was like a music industry class yeah. at, at night, at night school in Where? my high school. It was just about the music business. And it was in strange. Austin? Yeah, it was at, and it was at like a night school that was done at my high school. So after and I just saw it in like a flyer. But it was oh, a guy at that like used 15 to be, or something. Yeah, it used to be a guy that used to be like an A&R guy right. like years ago and he moved to Austin and it's Good to know that you have a job if you ever move. Yeah, back. exactly. <laughs> and it was all like adults, people in their yeah. 30s and 40s that were just like Austin like musicians or trying to be songwriters but sure. within the Austin music scene. And I was like a kid in there and like, you know. Yeah. But he recommended some book and I forgot what it was. And it was just like tiny publishers. It wasn't even like the big publishers. Right. Now that I know, you know, it was yeah. things like like a little publisher in San Francisco. Right. Was in a, I mean, nowadays, I'm sure that whole book is out of business. I have a book called The Yellow Pages of Rock that I got when I moved here in 98. And it had direct lines to everybody in the music industry. Oh, wow. And it was a published, it was published and it was like a $500 book. You know, and some guy gave it to me because it was the year before. And I that's how I got in, too, was like I would call each person. And my roommate's name was Mike Thompson. I said, I'm Mike Thompson from Raw Songs Records, which was like my fake record <laughs> label. And I have an artist named Ross Golan you have to meet. And I just wow. started cold calling. And I was calling like heads of a and m Records that's and awesome. Interscope. Because I had their direct lines. And usually go to their assistant and they would just hang up. And I end up with like some random meetings had. I remember like famous music and um, and so many people said, sure, we'll meet. You know, we'll put you in with whatever in our person. And I would just go in and I would be so nervous because I lied my way in. Yeah, and, that's awesome. You know, like those those books at the time because it's not like you had the internet. You could yeah. just like send an MP3. You had to like bring a CD. Bring a CD. I mean, I was in like tapes. I'd send tapes. You know, like I still, my I still have old tapes at my parents' house. They left, they left the room, like sort of as is, and I still have the rejection letters and all that kind of stuff. Have you listened back to any of them? I'm so nervous too. You have to. I have a see. I have some earlier somewhere there. I have some like earlier demos, but past that point when like CDs became sure, a thing, of course, um, that I had listened to a few years ago that were just like, oh god. But the the, I still remember some of the songs. Sure. 
of that time when I was writing songs in high school. Like, what was I your still, first song called? Do you know? Um, oh, I forgot the first song. What was it called? Oh, <laughs> it was called "Forever I Love You." <laughs> that was the song. I mean, that at least like, I, I think my first lyrics were all was like Steve the dog, and you know, like yeah, I do, yeah. I wasn't into, I didn't understand the idea of writing an emotional song, or like uh, really writing a song, you were already starting from that kind of title isn't that far off from Love Me Like You Do. That's true. No, you it, know, was, it is. Yeah, it that's is, true. It is but it was like, but it's not, you know, it's not that different. I was always like into, and still am, I love like romantic comedies and those, uh-huh. like, you know, and Chiclet, those are the uh-huh. books I read. And like, um, and I always for some reason had that thing. And, but I was never allowed. I mean, you're an Indian in Texas. You're never going to get a girlfriend unless it's with like another Indian. But you're not even. I couldn't even have a girl call my house like from till I was like 18. Even then, my parents would like grill me. You yeah, know but how I mean? does like how do you get into so, music at all? I mean, where, where how do you even have the desire to read any of these? I don't know. I just was always listen. into like you know, in Beverly Hills 90210, and it was like Brenda. So you're and Dylan. Li- it wasn't I was like always like in. I don't know why I was like felt emotion in that way. So I always. Right. So, and I think because it was so suppressed, I wasn't allowed to, like, openly feel like, like, like do the teenage dating thing or anything like that. I think, so it came out the other way. It came out in sort of my fantasies. Right. So at night, you know, I would take out my sister's keyboard and I would just start figuring out chords and start just writing songs. Did you have to hide playing music then in your house? I think the first... So when we first moved to Austin from the D.C. area, it was when I was, I was 14, and we lived in an apartment And because my parents were trying, to, we were trying to find a house, and they ended up building a house or whatever. So during that time, which was like, a, I guess, like two years, we lived in an apartment, and my room was the family room. Right. So I didn't have a, my own bedroom. Right. And so I didn't have any privacy as a teenager right. or anything like that. So, I, yeah, I mean, at night, it would be like when everyone's sleeping. And I, I didn't have to necessarily hide it as like my parents like, what are you doing playing the piano? But... Um, there was a, there was a point when it became such an obsession where I had to kind of hide that I was doing it. You know, my mom would call the choir teacher. I had a great choir teacher who I credit for everything because he was, he was always encouraging when like the Indian community and my parents, everyone wasn't. And, um, I would skip class and I'd go into the choir room and to the piano rehearsal, like they had little like soundproof piano rooms. Right. Um, like like vocal rooms and and I would sneak in there and he would see me he knew right. I was there and he would just turn a blind eye knowing I was skipping class and my mom would call him and say you know Savin's spending too much time you know on music can you please encourage him to do other things and he would just humor her and say yeah 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 no problem definitely you know and um, and so that kind of thing happened but it wasn't have like, you ever told your teacher that oh yeah no I've met I'm, I saw him like I want to say like. Th- Three or four years ago? Yeah. Maybe it was four years ago because a, f- a good friend of mine's mother passed. Oh, a good friend of mine from high school's mother passed away. And she was kind of like from our friend circle was like the mama bear kind of. Uh-huh. And when she passed away, I went to the, I went to Austin to the funeral. Wow. Um, and there I saw my – but he's he's sort of like – you know, he's only you knows like classical music. Now sure. he's now he's a um, choir director at a university. I think St. Edward's University or something in, some, in, South, in right. South Austin. So he's he's not even in that world, you know? Right. But when you go home, is there a part of you that just wants to sort of show that community, look at what 
look at what pop music can do for you? Or is there, you yeah. know, is there like a redemption? Or do your parents kind of understand now? They understand that there's success, but they didn't really understand because they see money and they see where I live and how we live, which is very foreign to them. So that relationship's changed. I was actually just talking to someone about that yesterday. It's foreign to them because they they don't have those resources. Is it foreign to them that, that they're humans that live like this? Uh, I think that they're, I mean, they were always well. My dad was a pretty high level guy at IBM, but they're, yeah. the way they were brought up and sort of, they're Gujarati and, and they were brought up and Gujaratis are usually the cheapest people on the planet. So even if you have money, you still like are cutting coupons because your money yeah. is for your the next generation and the next generation. Right. So you don't like, and the fact that I don't do that more because of time, it's like, well, no, I, I just get it. Don't worry about right. it. My mom, like my mom would spend a hundred dollars to save a penny. Right. You know what I mean? Like drive to all the different stores and waste right. all this gas yeah. and spend four hours just to find something that's $2 cheaper. Right. You know, and without the thinking of like, well, maybe <laughs> you could just. Right. Just that there's time. A, there's a, but, but also for us, sure. and as you know, time is income, right? Because the time that we're doing right. something like for the house or whatever you're doing, that could be spent creating and that creates your income. So I see it that way as well. That Don't like, you see some of that struggle of time management? Is that is any of that inspirational in how you write? In like in devoting time, you know, focusing more on the time you do have to write? Because somehow I, I, one of our friends, Wendy Goldstein, when she, she said to me once, she's like, I'm jealous that you wake up every day and you get to write uh, you get to create an asset. Yeah. You know, and it's, a, and, you know. I wish you said it. Ross, <laughs> I'm so jealous. Every day you get to wake up and create an asset. It's so creepy. <laughs> it's, it's, I love I mean, it. <laughs> I think so Wendy good. knows that I do an impression of her now. No, I think someone has, told her. <laughs> it's so good. It's incredible. But wait, but you know what I mean? Like, it's your time management if every if all obstacles time wise are eliminated, are you really focused twenty four hours a day on songwriting? Probably not. You'd fill it with other yeah. random things. You know, it's not like you. Nobody can just write twenty four. I mean, but I do. Seven or can I they? would say that like I mean I don't write a lot. I'm not. I don't write a lot of songs compared to like how how I used to, but more because of just I think maybe I'm getting old and I don't have the energy. What does that mean, it. like? I write, I'm more, I guess I do, I do write in the sense I'm always looking for ideas uh-huh. and I shut things down a lot um, and I don't like, so I don't even go 30% of the way unless I really feel good about it. So that means sometimes two songs a month for me, but I get to do that because I'm in that environment that I'm in sort of at MXM and I'm only sure. working with a few people and we can right. do that kind of thing. Um, and obviously a lot of my time is spent helping manage that. Is your ratio of songs that you write to songs that get cut and released is obviously that's improved because it's the only way you write less. Yeah. You know, plus the songs that you have out now seem to have a better shot at being singles. Are you are you a a better writer now? Is it the access you have from your past catalog? or I mean, what I is it? Better. How are you able to create be- I would so like to think it's because I'm a better writer. I mean, access is, if something's great, it's great. And I, I, one thing I learned from when I was a- like helping A&R stuff and A&R stuff myself, yeah. like all the myths of politics actually doesn't exist. Um, I think if, if it's like this, if there's an A song and an A song and the A song is from a guy that... Like has had a lot of hits, 
or you know that they'll deliver the production, you're going to go with that rather than the guy you don't know, right. for example. Because, you know, delivering a finished record is sure. is a big part of it, yeah. not just, oh, the, the song is amazing and they need to make it sound amazing, whoever's right. producing it, right? But there's too much at stake for you not to try and pick the best song, the what right. you think is the best song, and and what the company actually collectively thinks is the best song. There's just too much at stake now, especially nowadays, to pick it because of politics. You know, there are cases of people like pushing, but all, but they're not, they're not pushing of, they're not like, no names, I think no. what those people do though, is they just create insecurity because everyone's still insecure because everything is still subjective, right? right? So all the, when people are like, no, mine has to be the first one, that song sucks. You know, the other song you're thinking about sucks. All it does is just create, sometimes that will work because all you're doing is just creating an insecurity about right. the other song. But it's knocking down somebody else's song yeah. in order for you to have your shot. Yeah, and too. that, that's I'm just a total, I'm I'm personally against that. Right. I think it's just the best song should win, and I'm against as you know I'm against the deals of like this has to be the first single. Isn't or, it hard for you to be? I mean, if you're in that meeting though, if you're if you're gonna be talking to a record label about an artist, and you yeah. know you have a song that's that you feel like is a hit, yeah, you're gonna push for that song. Because that's still that's still your perspective on what the the biggest hit is of the bunch. Yeah, but I right? don't I don't really know what I mean. That's the thing. I mean, I th- I think I know what a hit is, but I've also been wrong so many times. So right. I'm more scared of being. Maybe that's me being in Sweden and being around Swedes too much. Right. I'm like more scared of like being losing wrong. credibility and being wrong. Right. So. I mean, I would. I th- I'm assuming early in my career, I probably would have been, man, no, my song was a hit, or you know. Right. But I'm also not that aggressive with A and R people, so I've never was right. like, "You're stupid, man. What are you doing?" I don't have that personality right. like with those people. Um, but like, were you like that? I mean, try to go. I'm just trying to go through some of the chronology here. Yeah. If you went from. You know, you're in Austin, you're in this, you're, you, you take this class in high school and then you end up in Sweden, although I'm not really sure how you end up there. Oh, that, I'll, I'll make the long story really short. I sent out demo tapes, got a few responses here and there. I've sent out hundreds of tapes. Um, eventually, one, there's a funny, like, Backstreet Boys story, which is, a, which is a, I guess, for another day. But, like, eventually a producer in Nashville, that, who I thought was a producer, but was really just a guitar musician, um guitarist sent me a letter saying that I really like this song and I you know I do a showcase at the Wild Horse Saloon every year would love you to be a part of that and there's all these record labels and, be, and at that time I was being an artist I wanted to be an artist I was okay. super naive and thought I could sing and I really can't right and um so I was like yeah you know awesome and he was like yeah it's three thousand dollars and you have to give the publishing of the songs you sing there to me it's still, I didn't know any I didn't know right. anything so I was like okay you know I told my parents and you know, I bag, borrowed, and steal like yeah. to get money, and they paid for some of it because they just wanted to shut me up. And um, went to Nashville, did this thing. A manager at Gold Mountain Management—I don't know if they even still exist at the time—liked what he heard um, or what he saw, and he goes, "He goes like I have a friend in New York who's a lawyer, a guy named Joe Joe Serling," and he was like, "I'll send him some stuff." And every few months, I would finally get in touch with right. them, and and Joe was like, "Okay, whenever you're in New York, just look me up, and we can meet." And later that summer... And wait, how old are you at this point? I think I'm 17 or 18. Okay. Um, later that summer, I had some relatives from the UK sure. <clears throat> that had got a contract in New York for IT stuff. And so I went to go visit them with my cousin and his wife. And 
when I was there, I obviously looked up Joe. Right. And then he told me to meet him, and he listened to some. And these are shitty demos. He's yeah. like pressing record on a tape deck, right. playing stuff, swapping, playing. It You're from, playing piano. And yeah. Right. And then, like, and not quantizing anything. Right, it was of just course. Really, um, so he was like, you know, I, I can just hook you up with some meetings. I feel like these are in the ballpark. So he right. just called, like, people at EMI. I think it was someone named Paul Adams at EMI. Uh-huh. Um, someone at, is it, uh, is it Paramount Publishing? There was a, was there a yeah, Paramount? Paramount yeah, Paramount was it there. Um, the old BMG, Clyde Lieberman at right. the old BMG, a few others. And they were just horrible. I mean, the meetings were just like... Yeah, as bad as they li- Listen to, this is what you're competing against. And right. they were properly like finished right. demos, except for Clyde Lieberman. He was like, you know what? These melodies are really good. Oh, cool. And I've got this young guy named Ben Groff that we just yeah, hired in sure. L.A. And wow. I need to give him something to develop and see what he could do. Let me send this to him and see what he thinks. But then, like, like months went by. Finally, Ben got back to me. And in this meantime, I'm just writing songs at home, sending out demo tapes. Then after a while, Ben was like, you know, I think you're ready to sign a publishing deal. And him and Clyde. And it was a point my dad gave me two years to um, make a living in music. Otherwise, I had to go to college. So it was a point where, like, Danny Strict, when he was back at BMG, had to actually call my father and, like, tell him, like, no, it's real because it was over the two-year deadline, you know? And Clyde Lieberman had to fly over to Austin and come meet my parents and all that kind of stuff. Wow. So, yeah. That's See, a- and that's why you respect, and go, going, the reason why I wanted to go through the, the chronology is because yeah. that's why you have so much respect for A&R guys, though. Is yeah. That if you come into it as a real writer, then you, the ones you meet are the ones who get real songwriting. Yeah. And those are the ones that will help usher your career, and you end up respecting them more. And so you view... It more collaboratively, and you don't see it the same. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, there's a lot of shit ones out there, and most of them are. You know, most of them are just kids that are hustlers and, you know, manage 10 people and see it as a way to get their clients' cuts, and they don't really understand the difference between something great and something that's just good. Right. Um, But it's, it's that thing you never know. I mean, we've had. But you inherently at that point, it's not like you understood song math. You hadn't even been to Sweden. You no. didn't know any, you know, the finish finishing demos and understanding the quality of a finished song. No, I just were not yeah. things you understood at that point. But you inherently at least I had an instinct, knew. I think, for melody and cor- good choruses yeah. and stuff. Um, but are you at that point learning songwriting from your bedroom? Are you like are you listening to? Oh, uh, it, like, it was during the Babyface Boys to Men time, right? Early but Max you, How do you know what a time. verse, pre-chorus, chorus is at that point if you're? Like, I think I just understood it. it. Just inherently, yeah. I just inherently understood it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was able to listen to songs, and I want to do a song in that sure. style. And that was back when I was able to somewhat program. I was like, using Cakewalk, and nice. like, and I was able to like you know somewhat get an idea down, you know. But and then I went to Sweden, and that kind of that those skills went away because it was with all these. The first time I met real like songwriters. And producers and right. that whole idea of like, oh, well, I'm just writing melody. Who you to Sweden? So Clyde and, and Ben, uh-huh. at the time there was a company called Merlin. So in, in Sweden there was Sharon who did all the right. big stuff. And there was a company called Merlin who did basically the stuff that Sharon didn't do or right. wouldn't do. Because like, Sharon, was, they were this exclusive bunch, signed, had an exclusive deal kind of with BMG and Jive. Um, and, and like, or Zamba, sorry. Um, and Merlin who sort of, but basically, it was like Anders Bog and a few other people. And they were really good, but they weren't as good as the right. Sharon guys. And they basically, like, so if Sharon did Britney Spears, Marlon would do Jessica Simpson because right. Jessica Simpson couldn't get in Sharon. Does right. that make sense? 
And they had a couple of hits, like 98 yeah, Degrees. Sure. So Sharon did Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. They, and then people would be like, oh, we got a, we had this boy band, 98 Degrees. Let's send them to Sweden. Because all the American A&Rs right. thought it was just the Swedes. Right. They didn't matter you know, sure. who it was. I still think they feel like that. Yeah, and they, and they don't, <laughs> I don't know. Think, like, I don't think A&R guys know the difference between those. Yeah, especially back then when Swedes. Sharon was so exclusive. Sure. And, and the funny thing, the guys at Rand Merlin used to actually say, there was an email that accidentally was sent to the guy that co-ran Sharon later years later where he was trying to get the Merlin guy was trying to get investors and he said taking he took credit for a lot of the share you know we're oh, doing wow. to do Backstreet Boys and all this kind of stuff and it accidentally was CC to that guy and it became this whole problem but like they used to just they were just you know they sure. went out and they got like work and so they were looking for a publisher an, an admin publisher because they were getting some heat on stuff so they were talking to BMG yeah and so they were like oh you should bring your writers over and they were like yeah we just signed this kid the deal with it with them and I'm not working out they went to Universal I think right but that's how I got sent to Sweden. So, so how do you switch over then from like one, you know, how do you kind of sneak across Stockholm to the, to... Well, it took years. You, I mean, you're, that was 18, a, you're 18 at that point. At that point, moving? I was probably 20, I think. 19 or 20, my first so year to Sweden. So your sort of collegiate years are, are busy trying to figure out how to get to Sweden and then yeah. you end up in Sweden. So I kept going back and forth. They kept right. sending me because it would be I would get like a single in Denmark, and yeah, then I would yeah. you know. And it was the first time I made like friends who had any interest in what I do. You know, all my sure. friends went off to university. And I was kind of like the right. loser. I was like volunteering at the middle school, helping like they didn't have a choir program there because kids weren't interested. Right. And then I helped build a choir program at the middle school. Um, but it was just like you know I had so much anxiety and embarrassment. You know, going to like the grocery store, running into people's moms you went to high school with, right. and you're like the loser kind of like because I. I Is was that more reason known. why when you go back for, you know, not, I mean, the funeral is a sad time to go, but you go back to home and there's got to be, everyone knows what you've been doing. Yeah, it's been good. I mean, not every, because it's, you know, you know how songwriters don't get like, you're not like in the press. I don't do much press at all. So yeah, but like, you're, you're, I mean, but people know, Facebook yeah. and Instagram and Twitter and I feel like there's some way that your high school people from yeah, your high lot, school yeah, still know. talk about like hey you know that's pretty cool that that yeah. song was no that, like my that, that my friends my kids know like. and yeah. <laughs> no it's, that's kind of fun. my my friends know and my, you know they're the ones i'm so in touch with and you know in the whole indian i mean the biggest part of my life at the time was obviously raised in a big right. indian community so the indian community obviously knows because just that's there's no one in the indian community you know a lot of the actors are half indian and they're yeah. not really like ooh i'm you know they're not they weren't really raised within a big Indian community. Right. Um, so the fact that I was, I think that's a big pride for the community. Right. Um, but, yeah, so, so, that, so that's kind of, but it also gets kind of weird because then it's all about that, you know what I mean? Right. And that, that I kind of get scared when I go back a little bit. I, yeah. I just stay at my parents' house and I'll go with my wife to a movie. They want to have, like, people over and the whole community to, like, we should. We never had a dinner for your engagement. Let's have they you know. But right. then it beca- it doesn't become about engagement. It becomes about like what I do for a living. Does sure. that make sense? Of course. Um, so that kind of makes me. I nervous. just had a relative recently come up and and be you know say like, so you make good money, don't you? Yeah, the, yeah. And I just jumped straight to that. I was like, Yeah, that. Happens I mean, a I haven't lot. seen you in years, bro. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know we're related ish. Yeah, no, but that, <laughs> like, the money thing. The money thing's fun, kind of funny. Uh, you know. I was talking to a few people yesterday because we were just discussing about a, a mutual friend and, and we were talking about that. It's so funny when that happens that, like, you know, because we don't do it for money. I mean, I was broke eating beans out of a can, you know, right. for a year. So if I would still do that. I'd still do what I'm doing whether you have money or not, right? right? 
But like, I mean, now I have kids. I have to think about that stuff. Right. But if it wasn't for the kids, you're right. kind of thinking you just do it because that's yeah. what you love to do. It's so hard to do it and to get a sure. break that if, there's just many easier ways to make money. You know, if you're going to put the same effort and time in, think about that. What you put the same effort and time in in songwriting, if you average it out from when you started and how many hours you've put in, it's probably the, yes, the wage, right. the hourly wage is very little. If you think, even if you're pretty successful, sure. like, you know, um, and it's and you have to also think about like an athlete, right? Like, like you have yeah, you a have, window you have five years of playing yeah, pro football and then done. Right. And you and then when you look at it, a lifespan, it's actually not that much money. Right. It just can come in a clunk if you're very successful. Yeah, and if know. you're at the very top, you're yeah. you're talking about different money than you yeah. are at the bottom. Well, yeah, there's but a yeah. difference. I mean, you probably know that now. You you definitely will start if you haven't with the year you're having and next year that there's like even a huge difference between like top 20 on radio to there's a huge difference between five, 10 to five. And there's a huge difference between five and three. On yeah. Radio. It's a crazy gap. You could think like, Oh, I have a like top 15 on radio that I can like, you know, pay my mortgage next year. It's yeah. Like, no, you no. can't. No, you can't. Right. You know? Right. Um, I mean, when you were getting into, when you started getting into those, cause you were in Sweden for 10 years, right? Something yeah. Like, like 13. Like, 13 uh, so well, yeah, I got, went back and forth for like two years and then, it was actually red. But they were one. selling at that point. At least when you were first there, they were oh, albums yeah. were still being bought, and you were you had access to the projects that were selling. No, it lot, wasn't right? actually. No, I wasn't in. The only people that were really explosively big when I was starting going to Sweden was Sharon, but they were so ex- reclusive. I mean, no, none of them. They didn't work with any outside right. people. They were became super famous in Sweden. They're very like. They were at the time, no one could get in that circle. I mean, right. they were working, you know, 18-hour days. They didn't even see the light of day. And when you talk to those guys, they didn't even know they had made money or anything. They didn't even know how successful they were until it was over. And then they walked out of the building, you know, this building in a place called Freedom's Plan. And if you ever go to Sweden, you could go see the the building because it's now like a, a record, an indie record label in the studio yeah. down below. Um, it's like, you know, they get out and it's like, oh, and it's like, wow. Yeah. We're like famous here. We can go to clubs, and you know. And then they right. all went and lived their lives because it was a very intense. And that's seven that's Max years. and <clears throat> Max, Rami, and, uh, Rami, and Carl, and all those. Well, Carl, no, Carl wasn't a part of that. Oh, I was he wasn't. too young. So me and Carl were sort of the same generation. We're, by the time we sort of got our shot and started things happening, that Sharon was way over. Yeah. Um, so because it sort of ended after that third Backstreet Boy, the Black and Blue album was right. sort of the last. I yeah. think that was the last project. Um, why did it? Why did it end? <clears throat> I guess there's different theories, but I mean, they all usually will say when Dennis Pop passed away, yeah. the fun was done, and and right. you know, and they were doing it for so long and so many. And again, they were people that didn't write a lot of songs. I sure. mean, the songs that they wrote for all those years, they would spend mo- a month on on a song. You but know? they had nine songs on every album. Yeah. Like, how is there aren't enough? There aren't enough months for that to be. I know that people say there was that. Group, I know there was they say a group that, of eight you, of them. There was a group of eight of them. Yeah, so I guess that's how that averages you know. out. And it's not not every song took a month, but they it was no. Spend I know a lot of time. it's just crazy. If you, look I mean, at it wasn't those... even nine. I think the first Backstreet album wasn't like it was only like four or five, and then the Britney album was like what was it? The first Britney album, I think there was like sometimes, maybe one more time, and there was like um, crazy, crazy. There was probably like five, yeah. you know. And then and you know and then and I think they ended up burning themselves out, and then they all wanted to do separate things, work with different people, and then and they all built their own teams, and that's sort of when I started breaking. Then I slowly. Yeah. Um, you know, got into some of those teams here and there, and you know we would have success, especially with in the UK. Sure. Um, 
And then eventually, and, we, and everyone in town and the whole community was like, they were like celebrities in the sense of like, ooh, I know someone that knows Andreas Carlson. Right, of course. Or I know someone that knows someone that knows Christian Lundy. And, and maybe once in a while you'd run into one of them because you were having lunch right. with one of their friends and it would be like this big deal. That, of course. Oh, God, that was Andreas yeah. Carlson. You know, or that was Max Martin. You Is know? it weird to be that guy? I don't really see myself as that guy, yeah, but, I, but I also because I'm in a bubble. I'm in the same situation. I mean, now I you're in that bubble, this, right? Is that we're in this bubble? Right. And I never realized how because, especially when you're with sort of a legend like that whose bar is so high. Like I think this past year we had like I had eight songs on top ten of radio, and at the end of the year I felt like shit because on my mind didn't break into top three. Right. You know, and I had a real, or like focused and do well. Right. And I was really bummed out. Yeah. Because you're in this bubble and the bar is so high that sure. you don't see that like, wow, what about all the other stuff? Sure. You know, so you really like, and it's, and and the only way. So like, many of the things I wrote on, on the things for us to talk about, yeah. you're touching on where it's like the idea that I don't see how you can possibly celebrate every success when you have five songs on a on top 40 at any given time how's it how's there any possibility that you can celebrate the peak of a song you don't celebrate because you're constantly pushing for that next one to beat that last one or match that yeah. last one i mean no, there's no sub i think what happens and i've been learning now now i understand the sharon thing and the mentality that they had was like you just it's just adrenaline because you love what you're doing. Yeah. If you're doing it for success, then you'll then you're really just celebrate. Then you'll stop and be like woohoo, and then you made it. And then you're yeah, done. and then it right. d- 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 then it passes by because we're in a really interesting business. If you think about it, it like we're chasing something that we'll yeah. never achieve because right. a hit song, you know, there's always another hit song. <laughs> hit song lasts. It yeah. lasts for like a what like a week or two. Sure. Or, you know, if a a, a, a Big yeah. one lasts for a few months, and then it's done. Yeah. And then there's like ten other songs that have replaced yeah. it, and you're no longer you no longer have a hit song. Yeah. Does that make sense? Well, that's so it's what, it's this constant like it's just short period of time. So how do you? I don't understand. And and it, that's what tortures me and keeps me up at night. And I think the people that are obsessed with it, and I think yeah. most of us are, uh, is that like what do you? And my wife asks that because she's so out of the music. She doesn't you know out of an entertainment business she has no like um she doesn't even like it necessarily right. you know she's like but what when when's the end game or what is what yeah, is the goal what is here the end game? but there is i don't because you know a hit song is a great feeling but it goes away and then there's other songs you place and then when you have a lot of hit songs you start getting addicted to the feeling of that song having are, a song always have a song the on top. the radio right. or whatever and then when you don't you actually get in this really yeah. dark headspace yeah you know like it's a, it's a weird thing and it's like um but That's I don't what, know. When it, you know the I, the idea of you, acting like you've been there before. Yeah, I hate that because uh, every time you have a song, another song that's a hit. Yeah, you know it's it's that song's story. Yeah, and and there's in Nashville. I don't care if you've had ten number one songs that year. Every single one, the PRO, you know, BMI or ASCAP, and your publisher is throwing a number one party and the artist shows up and everyone uh-huh. goes and celebrates the success of that song. And it just doesn't, in this case, like I'm, you know, I'm the yesterday I was with all the people I wrote same old love yeah. with. And I hadn't seen a couple of them since we wrote the song. Wrong, yeah. And I was like, Hey, congratulations. Congratulations to you too. And then we continued on. Yeah. You know, like that's we it, just continue, right? but it wasn't like uh, you know. There's, I think people assume that that there's that there is like this reward at, at yeah. and 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 the reward is more like 
nice. I'm I'm continuing to reach the potential yeah. that other people see that I'm supposed to reach. Yeah. Or, or something that you continue like that. you're able to do it. That you're you're able to like do it. Like yeah. can, that's my thing, you know? Like especially nowadays to be able to just make a living, be comfortable and that allow cuz my whole life has now been shaped around allowing me to just write songs. Sure. You end up especially when you start having kids and stuff, you end up Everything that goes on in your life, the conveniences that the money buys you, is sure. only conveniences that then allow you to just focus on writing songs. Right. Does that make right. sense? Of course. Um, so my whole life is built around that. Everything to, to not, so I don't have to think about other things. I can just go to the studio and write songs because that's the obsession. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, you've, you, you've also had a few things this year, going back one thing like you you've had a few things this year that that you've never had before where yeah uh, you know the somewhat what, credibility i guess can't uh, what was that credibility <laughs> to a point maybe <laughs> i mean can't feel my face and love me like you do both got nominated or what is it i yeah, know love well, me like you do got a got a golden globe nominated nomination it, it got like the, and, the movie and, thing can't feel my face is record of the year but they don't give that to songwriters record of the year is that weird i know they don't i don't want to they don't give they don't give songwriters if you have album an album of the year. Of the year. That's that, the that one pisses yeah. me off. I agree. That like, it's like, come on. You see, I don't know if you ever see. Every year I tweet the same thing. Oh really? Is, but we should that. we should talk to the cat. I, I, I'm a. Are you a governor? I'm like one of those. I'm not. Voted, but I never went. I never had time to go. That's the other but thing. The, it's like, how do you be an advocate right. when you don't have time? Because you're trying to. All my time is focused on trying to do better work. Right. And <laughs> it's hard to be an advocate, but that. I mean, Evan. Evan's really good with sure. that stuff. Yeah, and we talk about that a lot. I mean, I think because you can cha- we can change it if, en- if enough of us and those goes to those meetings and hey, this is like messed up. Like why? Like the guy, no disrespect to mastering guys, but the guy that masters the album right. gets a Grammy, but the right. people that actually wrote the songs right. and some of the lyrics and melodies, you actually don't get a Grammy for an well, album. Well, I of the understand year. record of the year. Yeah, is I guess, the recording yeah. of the song, and I understand song of the year because that's the writing yeah. of the song. But the minute that producers started getting songwriting credit. Yeah, it felt weird that when I do all the vocal arrangements, yeah. that I'm not part of the, the production. Record. Yeah, and then when you get to album of the year, the fact that that is a collection of records, but it's also a collection of songs, songs because yeah. the the album has because nobody is releasing covers anymore because yeah. there's no incentive. So without being releasing any covers and it's all original content, then that original content should all be included in Definitely. album. And I don't know why they think that that's okay to not do that. It, I mean, historically, it makes sense. Yeah, well, I know because of the I guess because what you're saying with the covers and stuff it, like it that. makes sense. Why? And and it's hard to change it because I mean, it's the, a lot of the people who are are on the governing board were 
around in in the seven sixties, seventies, yeah. and and but there's enough of us different. now that we could probably make I, a change if, if so. we put the effort in. It's just about sure. putting the, having the time. But we're With all, too all busy. the other things that we're advocating for yeah. as songwriters. It's Jesus. like it's hard yeah. to make that another thing. I know, it's, but you know, but then it's also all for vanity that part. So I guess it's more important to make sure that the next generation can earn a living than us get trophies. Sure. <laughs> right. <laughs> when you put it out that way, there's, I guess it's more important. It goes down the the line of priorities. When when you mentioned like the, having lunch with somebody and how like that's or even just meeting those people, yeah. like that's sort of how we met. And I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I remember we had breakfast at La Pan. Yeah, but that's like the first time we have this lunch, and that was like for me, I was I'd been getting some cuts. Yeah. But at that point, I don't think I had any like reputable singles and maybe not i mean maybe i had a bieber song and like you a had a Nicki Minaj song song yeah i had like a couple out yeah. but not like anything yeah. significant so at that point you had already had a lot of hits like oh, compared yeah. not compared yeah. to now because now you're coming out with eight hits a year so it's a different oh, ratio but yes. i remember you saying things like how significant something like Share Lloyd and One Direction are to a career versus, you know, Britney and Usher because if you if you break an artist, how yeah. how much more valuable that is to a songwriter than if you're part of the pantheon of somebody's catalog. Yeah, you and know? that's that's why I never we've spoken about this before and I never understood like the, you know, when the whole town gets into like and you and and I understand why people do it and have to do it anyway, but like the focus of like when there's like a Rihanna album and everyone's writing for Rihanna, right? right? I was like, you know, we've spoken about this a bunch of times and I, I never understood that. Everyone's chasing that thing. Okay, okay, but then who's doing that other thing? Maybe I should do that other thing because then I have a right. better shot. And and I've, and I've it was actually Max who kind of told me that, you know, early on that when you break an artist, you'll see things change. Sure. You know, because, you know, at the time when I had a couple of hits with Britney, like she was going to have hits anyway. You right. know, Rihanna... Now, we, look, right. historically, Rihanna's going to have hits anyway, right. right? Whether you or I write a song for Rihanna, Maroon 5 will have hits anyway, right. whether you and I. So it's not going to be, it's, it's, you're not going to necessarily move the needle for your career. It's just going to be income sure. and the fact that you wrote a hit. But a lot of times those bands are so defined in what they do and their so- right. sound that you're not also going to get other artists going, right. hey, I want a song like that all right. the time, right? Because nowadays artists have a lot more power than when I first started. You know, there's a lot more artists are in, in charge of their careers. You know, like the pop artists, right? It, it's kind of shifted a little bit more to that. Um, so you think nowadays. working with? I mean, I guess when you got in with Ariana and when you got in, even with the weekend, considering yeah. he had obviously a lot of success, but not as a pop artist. I mean, you know, we, yeah, weekend gave us Ariana gave the Ariana success is what got us the weekend, like hands down. The fact that we worked with Wendy and then Love Me Harder, which she really pushed to get him on. And then he saw what a real hit felt like right. to his career because they used to think. I mean, sure. they he had great music before, right. and he's super talented. But they, you know, I remember the conversations we had with his people. Like they thought like Wicked Games was a big, big hit, but it was yeah. like thirty two on rhythmic radio. Right. You know what I mean? Um, and now he obviously knows the difference because the access he has and the oh, way yeah. his life has changed. We just saw him yesterday, and he, you know, he's, he's the sweetest guy, and, and the way his life has changed. Sure. Um, you know, it, it's a big difference, yeah, but when you break an act, and even though One Direction is not like a credible act, but the way the, 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 the meetings that I had with the industry, because whether or not all the boys recognized the, the development I did for that band during from day one, right. 
the everyone around it that was in charge of it they all saw it and and that spread within the industry right. and the tremendous success obviously is that, that why you pulled away from them or is it just sort of like it was people, I mean, they grew up and they kind of they grew up because they, they want to go and try to be more credible yeah so then, i think like is it a lot in the very beginning, and I, you know, I'll, I'll take blame for some of the stuff. In the very beginning, there were man, there was a manufactured boy band. That's, right. that's what it was. You know, none of they weren't all like hustling musicians trying to right. make it. They were on a TV show, and and we purposely and I was open about that. Like right. you're gonna hate the music that you do in the beginning. Right. Like I was open about that. You know, right. you're 17 year old, 18 year old boys. You're not supposed to like the music that a boy band does. Right. Historically, that's just not how it's gonna go, right. and that's what happened. But it blew up. Right. And I think yeah, by album three. Not all of them, but there was definitely one or two, or one especially that was like kind of bitter about the fact that you that know, they're a boy band. and he was not the talented one, and right. he wasn't the singer, and he, he yeah. wasn't the star, and and right. you know which one I'm talking of about. Right. And he then started having something against me and Rami and Karan against that process, I yeah. think. And you know maybe we could have been more um, inviting on the creative process during album two and not been so author- authoritative, but you know what happened was also that I knew them from day one when they they would cry on my shoulder when stuff because i was with them throughout right. the show and developing them yeah. and they didn't no one knew what that thing could be or who could sing right. lead and what that was and that was my, me helping shape that thing um and especially the first record you know the label wanted there was a stargate like rihanna reject dancy song that they were really wanted to do i was like no yeah. that can't be the direction yeah you know because i had they were like my little brothers i had a lot i yeah <laughs> i had a lot invested in yeah. my time and emotionally in, in these kids with their parents and everything because of the show because the show you get you it's it, the uk show is really intense and you become family of three months yeah. and um and i love those kids I, yeah. I, you know, I would always pick up the phone if any of them call even that one that right. you know and i remember even with julian you know, I had to convince some of them that you should go in with you. You know, he's really good. You should really yeah. go in with him. You know, and I think like, um, and and when they did, it was, I'm really happy for Julian and all oh, that yeah. because I think what he was able to do because he came from a different perspective. Like I came from, these are kids from his show, and I'll tell you guys what to do because right. I, you know, in the beginning that's what I had to do. Right. Um, and I think for me it was hard to then see them in a different way. And I think they needed, especially like a few of them needed people to see them in a different way. Right. And it's kind of hard for me to see them. It was hard sure. for me to adjust and see them in a different way. It'd be like, yeah, I'll give you musical. Yeah, you have musical credibility to me because I, I already had a bunch of hits with other people. Right. And for me and I and you guys didn't know what you were doing in the beginning. So why for me and my men now when I'm looking back, I'm like, I'm sure my process was like, but of course they don't know what they're doing, what they're saying. Like. They're just right. from the show, you know what I mean? Right. And and but I was when any- I was wrong, I was wrong to think that way because they're right. um, they've grown into, especially some of them have grown into really knowing what they're doing. I mean, Harry's a fantastic yeah. writer. We did that uh, song uh, to get Harry and Yon and yeah. I did that song, and it was shocking how he's good amazing. he is. Yeah. But these kids but have now that. been We'd, working yeah. with the best writers and yeah. been on tour with the best artists and yeah. throughout the world, and you know, and you have. You're developing years, spending spending those four or five years listening to amazing writers. If you're open minded, and you yeah. know these guys all should be really good. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it, and at the point it was like you know, and you know, it's also this the social thing where I had a baby during the second album. I couldn't be around hanging and going on tour with them and doing that thing. And right. also, you know, you'll if you have if you don't know how it is yet when you 
help like start an artist from the beginning and you guys are close, you'll understand when they go on tours, a lot of other sure. people, they start meeting other artists, meeting other writers, and there's a lot of people that want to go get in there yeah. to be in your position and that happens. So that becomes like this mind fuck. So, um, but with Harry, it was really interesting because Harry always, from such an album too, you really saw that he's a fucking good writer. Yeah. Like we did a song together for the third album, the only thing we did for the third album. And he was just the song Happily, which I'm really proud of. And I think he is as well. That he was, he, it wasn't like that thing where you're like right. writing down for the artist. He was fucking great and bringing yeah. ideas. And, and um, so that was cool to see. But I think, what, especially with one of the particular members, it was hard to see that person that, and take that person the, sure. the way he wanted to be right. seen, I think. And he became the, the loudest voice of the group. And then there was a point where I just told the label. It became sort of unhappy for me to, right. to feel that, like, why, why is he doing that? Like, you know, I'm, so to me it became this really heartbreaking thing right. that I felt like I think he wanted, the, he, they wanted to move in a different direction and I felt like I don't want to lose sleep over this. And I really felt like um, I can't see it in a different way than I've seen it. And, that, and, and so I think they made, they made the right, it was right for both of us, put right. it that way, to not continue creatively being I mean, doing that thing because that gave you time first of all cutting out things that are negative as a songwriter yeah. is essential ne- yeah um, there's an artist that, that's out right now as a song that's doing really well worldwide yeah. and i was supposed to executive produce it and i spent three weeks and it was just a toxic thing yeah. to be around yeah and it's it, hard it's like right? when you cut it i you have to be able to say that the loss of revenue will be gained in another exactly. project and just having that faith in your yeah, talent and it was, is and it was essential. hard it was hard to let go because it was so big and they're everywhere and every time I go to a store I would see their face yeah. and it was a little bit heartbreaking but again and it's not for everyone I mean like me and Harry we always stayed in touch and me and sure. Zane at the time were always in touch right. and it was like it was it was and that so some of them is always like this loving relationship and obviously I brought Harry into our camp right. working with Johan and you guys started working and it's just they you guys write great music together I mean, I'm so proud of him, um, and I know I've I haven't heard Zayn's solo stuff, but I've heard it's really. Have good. you tried? Have you wanted to work on no their solo Zane, stuff, or is it now that sort of that train has sailed? As <laughs> I think, if they if any but say for any of those boys, if they ever reached out to me, sure. and wanted help, yeah. I would in a heartbeat do it. Yeah, just because of loyalty, I wouldn't. Right. You know, if Zayn ever said, "Look, I need your help. Can you come listen to stuff?" He doesn't need me, from what I understand. It's really good, and I had one yeah. conversation with him about, um, it, but. I don't think they want to go to me. I, I don't think. I mean, my, maybe right. Harry's a different thing because we're kind of closer, and, right. and we'll see what he does if you know if all that stuff. But like, um, I, I understand probably until the weekend. I understand why Zayn wouldn't think because they all they only know me as the guy that did like their early stuff, which right, you know, is not the stuff that they're proud of. Even though they of know course. I did other stuff. I mean, you know, Harry understands that because he understands the music business and he knows. But the weekend right. gives you a credibility to yeah. allow you to. I mean, it opens up such a. A big door. I mean, our, like you said, Ariana opened the door for the weekend, and those yeah. things are. And then wonder, and then the whole letting the One Direction thing kind of go it was a year of kind of trying to find myself again, and sad because it was a super intense few years, and um, and I lost a lot of confidence during that time, and I think you know, it was Max who helped me get out of the funk. But then, yeah, then Ariana sort of walked into my life. How did Max help you out of the funk? And how just does being Ariana like walk a great life? mentor, and you know, just I wasn't inspired to write so much and then I felt what I was writing wasn't any good because you know also when you come from a success like that um you the bar again all of a sudden gets yeah. raised right so anything How do you, you do that's not that big is very difficult yeah. yeah 
And, um, but I also knew I didn't want to, and I also noticed that at the time that I was seen as like the boy band guy and right. I didn't want to be seen as that because I knew that I could, cause my natural instincts are actually more like rhythmic pop. I grew up on like the baby face right. and all that. That was the music that I love. That's the music yeah. that I listened to. So I wanted a chance also to show people what I could really do. Sure. Um, and once I got rid of certain things and I made some bad decisions, I did a few things that I, I did because I could not because I should. You mean you the know, executive producer yeah. stuff? The stuff where, like, you used one of my songs? Yeah. <laughs> but in hindsight, you know, I, I was listening to all these voices. and No, um, but honestly, and look, and to, for that project, and we don't have to mention names, yeah. like, every, a lot of people believed in that project. Yeah. Everyone was trying to get in on that. Like, yeah. like, whenever there's the new artist that has a platform, you know, yeah, everyone, people yeah. want to be involved. Exactly. It's not like you were doing it alone. Yeah, but it, it, in hindsight, again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I realized why that didn't work, why it wouldn't have worked, and why, why... doesn't... Why do some projects like that work? I mean, when there's all the resources a label puts behind a project... Maybe just music wasn't good enough. Maybe I just made the wrong decisions and direction. The band didn't really want to do that thing, so it wasn't genuine. Right. And um, what but they... One, but like you just said, though, One Direction didn't really want to do it Yeah, but that was a different beginning. thing because they were... At the time, it was a very manufactured... It was, you know... Right. That was going to be packaged, and it was like, you know... Right. It was a thing, and it was already had so much momentum. The other right. thing we're talking about, I think, didn't... The show wasn't that big. Right. The, the, one, the other right. thing we're talking about. Right. And, you know... You know, What Makes You Beautiful was, you know, I didn't re- recognize at the time, but now when I hear it here and there, I realize, wow, that was a pretty good song, Still you know? Yeah. You know, and, it, and, you know, funnily enough, it came from a Still genuine good. place where yeah. the other person's first single, they were trying to make me make a new One Direction with those people. Right. So it wasn't really from a genuine place. Right. You know what I mean? Like, What Makes You Beautiful, I wrote that about my wife. Right. So as cheesy pop as that is, it was still from a, there was heart to yeah. it. Where the other thing was trying to manufacture, trying to have like a, a sh- trying to find a shtick, you yeah. know? I think I've learned now throughout the years that that doesn't work. And every once in a while I forget about that and I'll be like, yeah, but this is so fun. It could be one of those things that becomes a thing uh, and it never works. No, because those things come from, that thing has to come from a genuine yeah, place. If you're going to have you hit the Quan or like Exactly. And whatever, I've, I've, I've tried many write, times and failed. Right, and now, right. now I've really started learning, okay, like every time I catch myself a little bit now when I think, I have this funny concept, and would that be funny, you know? Right. Um, but I think There's that... There's a fine line between clever and funny. Exactly. And it's hard to, you know, I think when you have, you know, it it says so much about someone like a Megan Trainer to have follow-up singles yeah. because she comes out with, you know, a a single like, you know, all about that bass when yeah. it comes out. If it's... If that comes from anything less than the most genuine place, that does exactly. not work. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's like yeah, people can feel it through the song somehow. Yeah, but no, it was. It's, it so was when you jump to Ariana, though, it's like I mean, it's because that's sort of the next big thing, right? Yeah. Between, so I had or like there's something qu- in between. No, I had a quiet. 2014 was kind of or hit wise, like 2013 was like a very transition. That was when sort of the end of Run Direction for me. I did one thing for one of their albums with Harry. You had um, you had the Bieber single, though. Yeah, but that right? was sort of from the year before. So like 2012 okay. was a lot of... So you know, you're thinking in 2013, you're like, what oh, I was I'm doing a terrible at the time. Song. Yeah, I'm thinking... I'm a terrible I'm, songwriter. The only yeah, songs th- that I have are from last year. And, yeah, and that, you, know, yeah. You, know, you know that feeling. Yeah. And then it took me a while to even feel inspired to write. We had just moved to LA, right. had the baby, adjusting my family to that. Sure. And I was doing way too many meetings. I had management at the time, which I shouldn't have listened. That was, you know, the typical 
you know, overambitious, like going, yeah, you should get a record label. I was offered like label deals and all this kind of stuff. I just said no to my gut kept saying no. And I was spent like every day in meetings rather than creating. And that's one of the things that Max always says, and he's, he's been right about was always like, you know, he gets all these label offers of like all yeah, the time. Sure. You can just imagine what yeah. Max wanted, right? And all he wants to do is write and produce and do that well. And that's a very Swedish thing. It's like you do one or two things well. In American culture, we get this thing. We want to be sort of greedy and like do every do things because sure. we can rather than because we should. Right. So that year I learned that valuable lesson. Do things because you should, not because you can. Like I can get a label deal, but should I? Right. I can EP all these projects, but should I? You know. But um, you act as a... And this is this is that balance where you 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 act as a, an A and R guy in in at MXM you act as a publisher you yeah. act as a manager for all these writers because MXM's yeah. you know fifteen writers yeah you know not including Wolf Cousins yeah. or whatever but MXM where you're at it, you're involved in so many of the writers' careers and the, you know everyone gives each other's input on yeah. songs and there's such a collaborative aspect that. It's not like you're not taking on the executive role. You're just doing it in an environment that's yeah, and I'm that's not, as and I'm controlled not, as possible. Exactly, but I'm not also being paid to do that. I'm that's more out of just like these are my friends. I believe in people, yeah. and I want to see good music out there. Like right. you know, with like for your instance, your sake with Johan Carlson. You know, before we finally got you guys to get before that happened, you know, we were trying to find him someone that because he's such a great musician and piano player yeah. you know that in my head i what i think one of my good talents are is kind of yeah seeing potential in certain things and see what's missing kind of sure. thing and like you're the perfect melodic and lyrical sense especially to match johan carlson it was yeah. like the perfect marriage i think right? would yeah. you agree and, yeah and, i mean it's, and your it's strengths so and weaknesses are like and to find that like even though again i have no let's say financial gain from that, but I love Johan and I love, I believe in what we were, what, when me and Max and Martin Dodd sat down in the house Max was renting like on Franklin Avenue when he said, okay, I think I'm ready to do a publishing company. Will you, will you come in and, and you know, let's try and make something great. Right. Um, I believed in that idea because I know that the whole, if there's a high bar of quality, people are very collaborative yeah. and, and it's you, you think things through as well. Like right. don't just do things to do things. Do You know, don't, hook, you know, the writer up with something that doesn't make sense just so that person's busy. Right. It's okay if that person's not doing anything for a week. Let's find the right thing. Right. I believe in that, and I think when you do it, and you can, then you can do it on purpose, then it's just yeah. not by per chance. It and, feels like a safe place. Yeah, I hope so. But on on all sure. levels. I think as a writer, it feels safe because you can take a risk, and, and, and if it's not right, you move on, yeah. but you don't feel like, you know, it doesn't feel like you get one shot and you're out. No, no, Do you know no, what I mean? Even like the, once you're sort of in that community, people are encouraging for you to yeah. continue to write and continue No, definitely, to because it's, you know, it's a, and then again, this is, I guess, the Swedish thing, and, and credit to Max and the philosophy, I guess, that Sharon had, which is obviously we're a lot more open than Sharon right. was, which was really a closed bubble. But like, you know, in watching what everyone else was doing with, the, with publishing companies and what other producers and writers are doing and, and learning from those mistakes. Because sure. it isn't about quantity, it's about quality, especially nowadays, you know. Right. And it's about trying to write a hit song or a great song on purpose um, rather than just spitting it out. And some writers, that's just their process. They have to be able right. to do that. And that I totally understand, you know. Um, but you write from that strategic place. I don't know if there's another writer who has the ability to say, 
this artist needs this kind of song, and you kind of hear the you're thinking of it from like a, a tempo, a lyric. Uh, you're you're going through sort of the strategy of what kind of song this artist needs before you even go in and write it, and then I feel like you have the ability to capture that. Oh, and that's that's I think the probably the most um, the most unusual talent you have. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I feel that's probably my big talent. Thank, thank you for saying. But it's that, like but writing I, from a strategic yeah. aspect, and it, it's like taking song math to a different a different level. I guess my question is: so you know, lyrically, you've always been somebody who writes uh, conversationally. Yeah, it's so difficult to make something conversationally unique, and to make yeah. something not seem you know to pull that into a song and you're going into this, you're going to songs as a, as a strategist yeah. and yet you're coming out with a song that, you know, it still somehow it's conversational, but still pushes that limit. How, well, I think how just, do you stick with love me like you do? Lola, love me like you do touch me like you do. And how does that work? So I feel like if anybody else does it, it just doesn't seem, you know, just it, a lot of time. I mean, to give credit what credit due is when we walked in, me and Max actually walked into Love Me Like You Do when Ali and Ilya had the skeletons of it. So uh, Ilya, not to touch me like you do, but the Love Me Like You Do thing was that that's what he was singing. Yeah, he came in. They had they had that thing as a skeleton, and and um, I think one of my talents in in sort of what you're saying is I that's why I like to meet artists before I write for them because I always get my ideas come from movies and visual media and right. reading, and I pretend I'm in that character. And that's why I always say, like, if I ever had to live again, I would want to go into theater, you know, because I feel like I I have an act of getting under the skin of something. Sure. Um, and, you know, that was, you know, knowing what the movie was and knowing that I had to have heart and right. this girl that's been, that's in love with this guy and has to accept his his sort of perversions, you know, and just being so in love and you just have to, you just got to accept each other for who you are. And, yeah. you know, so when he had, he was singing Love Me Like You, Love Me Like You Do in the chorus, you know, I had to make that make sense. But it took a lot of time. We're talking yeah. about two weeks on one lyric. Right. You know, and it's so, it's such a simple lyric when but you really so break it down. But it's so interesting that that's the, yeah, that takes two weeks. Is that, yeah. you know, people don't I mean, it wasn't 24 that. hours a day, two weeks, but right, it was like, it was like shaving off the bat and like keep challenging. And, and that's our philosophy. I make sense. You like, continue challenging till the end right is there a way to make this better is there a way to make this a little bit more special do you have any songs that you were just like this is this is a piece of crap i can't believe it was so successful or <laughs> where it's like or there is there ever a, a moment where uh, you're like it really only took a half hour to write the song and you're like yeah maybe that's it yeah sometimes i think sometimes can come quicker you know i don't believe that it has to take two weeks obviously it doesn't sure but um but some things are just quicker you know i you know I think like what can I say as a song? I mean, I I take a lot longer like lyrically because, right. like you said, the it's hard to do. I think the conversational thing can still have some juicy lines here and there, right? Because um, that's what takes long to me. I think the melodic thing we have such talented people around. So when I'm doing a melody, Max can come in and oh maybe that should do that, yeah. and then or Peter Svensson or vice versa, I'll right. come into their room. So luckily we've built this thing where yeah. like it's pretty. I think melodically is pretty tough to beat, you right. know. Um, because there's such good sure. people around. Um, and then lyrically, it's just spending time. I think that I, I see that as like sort of manual labor sure. lyrically. I mean, it has to come from the heart. So you yeah, have to make it's it really feel that the way. hardest part. It's it really, is. you know, and um, and I think a strong lyric to me is in, in pop music is a lyric that doesn't get in the way of the melody. Right. 
but still doesn't bore you. Right. You know? Well, and if you're talking about, you know, the full circle thing from where you started in Austin as a suppressed Indian American, you are probably one of the more sexual lyricists. Yeah, probably. You know what I mean? Like, are you living your life through these songs? Oh, absolutely. My wife sometimes is like, what the fuck are you saying? Right. Like, where does this come from, you know? I don't know. I guess so. It just comes from, yeah. Are your, kids from al- are, you, are your kids allowed to listen to pop music? Yeah. My my son is actually funny. My, have you met Milo? My, you yeah, met Milo? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, he loves pop music. Like He yeah. loves what's on the radio. And I yeah. can always tell when something's actually going to work because it, it's a, he's a three years old. So right. instinctively, when he wants to hear something again, you know that it has right. something. And funny enough, like I really thought, back together yeah where i think would work like i think everyone around in the studio thought that would work right and and now in hindsight i was talking to ali and max about it that was the one song over the summer that he didn't want to listen to again interesting from like you know can't feel my face to like you know even like cool for summer he really yeah for some there was something about the like to his ears that he wanted to hear it again right and he would say, and he would like cry because he doesn't know, he wouldn't know how to express what song it is. Right. Like, you know the song, I feel my to you. That song. Yeah. What, I don't know what song. And he'd be like, no, that song. And I'm like, right. no, what song? I mean, now he can communicate a little bit more. Sure. He can say, I can't feel my face when I'm with you. you know? But like, and he'd just hear me, he'd come in the office here when I'm working or going to sure. mixes or, um, you know, trying to get the lyric right. And he'd just come in and he'd hear. And then sometimes he'd dance around. Right. And sometimes he'd just sit and then he'd just leave. When right. he comes in dancing around, he wants to hear a song again. Or if, you know, I get the MP3 of the latest bounce sure. and I'm listening to it in the kitchen because I sometimes want to just see, because my wife right. isn't a big pop fan. Right. But, so if she likes something, then, then I know, you know that there's something. something. Right. Um, and I don't ask her. I just wait and see if she right. says something. And then he now is my thing. Like he'll say, "Yeah, I really, you know, he'll say, can I hear that again? That song yeah. again. And that was a song I thought he would like because you would think a kid would like it's yeah. a bouncy, fun melody. He never got it. Right. I never asked to hear it again. I would love to spend the next hour and a half talking about things like gun control and Trump and all the <laughs> world, the world's <laughs> issues because I know how political you are about that and how political you are about, you know, especially songwriter rights and and and, and you're an advocate for all kinds of of you know both artists and 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 writers and producers yeah. and I'd love to hear more, but. I know we don't have a lot of time, and it's like, I think what what you get out of that that I'm I'm here. I'm obviously doing well as a songwriter, but I'm still asking you questions because whether you realize it or not, you've achieved this level of um, you, you are like those Sharon writers. Look at oh, your. Nice. I don't look, see it that way, but thank you. No, That's you really should, nice. and you guys have developed the Brill Building of of. 2016 I mean you guys you are a part of a community that is consistent and you continue to challenge the music industry as as a whole and you should be so proud of that and I hope that you take some time to celebrate and and at least make sure you have dinner or cheers to you (laughs) while your kids are, are are in a bathtub because it's such an accomplishment and so many people are trying to get to where you are, where they they can hear multiple songs on the radio. I mean, it's still every other song is something you've been a part of. But you're you're somewhere. feeling that now, especially right. Yeah, that, I feel that's I'm great. I'm and I'm fortunate to have um, 
enough people still remind me of it. Yeah. I think it gets scary when you get to a point where they just expect you to to maintain. You're, yeah. People just expect you to have hits. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's a tough that's, that's thing. Scary. That makes you f- that makes it hard. That's why one of the reasons why you know I don't write so many songs. Right. Is that you get the you get so afraid. You know the the downside of it, and I'm having that now. Is I haven't for a long time, and actually, me and Max were just talking. He told me, and he was like, "You should just do that," because it's been a long time where I've just written to write a song. Sure, you know, it's always it'd been, be hard to do too. You'd yeah, have to I, take some time to do it. You'd have to write a couple shit songs. Yeah, to write and it's scary song, because yeah. you feel like there's this pressure now that uh-huh. everything has to be good. But that in that environment, we feel safe. But like, um, I'm going to be doing that like this first part of the year. Good. You know, once we get. In the between of what we have to, we've already committed to, like the Ariana and, and Weekend again, like is just right to write. So right. I, I'm gonna and and I, there's been a few artists that have contacted radio, and, you're, and you know part of it's actually I feel really bad a lot of times. Just you're just appointing people. Right. You know, I stopped doing so many meetings now from last year because I feel like I've got the guys you yeah. know in a good place where they know people and they're building on those relationships. Um, so I don't have to be the one. Right. Always going to meetings because I felt like for a while there you're just saying no every morning. Right, you're meeting with Ian Harvey. Well, yeah. you like them and you like their project or you like the artist. Yeah, but you're just saying no all the time. But building people. demand is not a bad thing. Yeah, and by leaving town or being busy or being committed, it's a disappointment that they can't have you involved. But the minute that you are available, that door is still open. If you were not busy and you were yeah. saying no. That's, yeah, a, different that's a different thing. thing. Yeah. But, but also, you feel they're expecting so there. much. So you have to really feel like, and again, this is another max lesson. You have to really feel like you can deliver. And if you can't, even though you love the artist and you like the idea of delivering right. for that artist, I mean, that just happened to me recently where I, I kind of suggested something and then I actually had to email and back out of it because I realized like I, I don't have anything right. in my head. Like I could go in and just try to write to, for write sakes, but I'm so afraid of that right now because right. it's been so far. So I think I have to, sort of exercise that muscle a little bit. Sure. Um, and then agree to do stuff like that. But if I don't, if I haven't been under the artist's skin, I don't really get it. Right. Like I got what Ariana should do and say, and we, we're close, so we were able to, you know, and she's, she's just says stuff. And she's now, especially in this next time, involved in stuff. And um, and you could see where she wants to go, like with Dangerous Woman, how that's like the perfect thing because that's yeah. where it, you know, she wants to be and, 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 and she is as, grow, as she grows into a woman. And, sure. um, but if I have an artist, even if it's a huge artist, I love the idea of giving so-and-so a hit and, and, but I feel like I can't deliver. I feel like there's this, they're expecting you to. Sure. That's the thing with success. It, it, it builds yeah. this like pressure. So you, and you either just like go with it and not give a fuck. And if it fails, it fails. Right. Or there's two personalities of people that do that, and I really admire those people. Sure. But for me, I, I get like scared, and I'm like, right. okay, if I don't think I'm really going to deliver, I don't yeah. want to risk disappointing them. And if you're 25, it's okay if you make yeah. a lot of those mistakes and stuff. Yeah. But at some point, it starts to get like, well, how big's your window? Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you, know, you got to yeah. make sure you have to continue to be. Strategic. And I'd, yeah, and I'd rather have a few things that explode, right? And then you know, because it's not fun when something doesn't work, right? You know? Well, speaking of things that do work, I think that we'll probably edit in here. Uh, um, do the dirty pizza, which is Just pretty dope. much right when we first met. Yeah. Do we know what what that sold yet? I have no idea. Probably. I it mean, sold a few thousand, right? So yeah. I mean, because Nile from One Direction tweeted it. I, I love at the time. it. I mean, it was like a genuine. It's a you know, it's a song that you, me, and Evan did that that uh, E Man and Andrew Goldstein yeah. uh, produced and. 
and we managed to get all these people to tweet about it, and we got really into it, and it became a, a worldwide trending yeah. song. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was trending. It was a worldwide <laughs> trending song, and it was, you know, just How us fun having fun. So uh, yeah. the band was called Hot and Ready. Yeah. And the... Uh, and the song's called Do the Dirty Pizza. I'm still so, uh, disappointed we never got like a, a sync for that. We should have. I don't think we really ever tried, but we kind of should I don't know if try. we did. I don't know why. It's not like it's it's no more dated now than it was then. Should we try? We should get publishers to try. I'd and, love and, to. Like, imagine like a pizza commercial, The Dirty sure. Pizza. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of And the Writer Is. If you want to hear music from this songwriter I just interviewed, be sure to check out our Spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us on iTunes. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. A special thanks to Jeff Sparger, David Silberstein from Mega House Music, and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. 